Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. It's a great day to be alive. You know, uh, every day that I live, it's a great day to be alive. You know that? Because every day that I live is a day that I didn't know I was going to have. See? Because every day, it's a new day, and he's with us. And it's a great day to be alive. We have, every day begins with Thanksgiving. Um, if it doesn't for you, I would encourage you to begin every day with good morning, Father. And you wait, and you know what you're going to hear? You're going to hear good morning back, and you're going to go, nah, right? The first time you hear him speak back to you, you'll, you'll kind of be startled. But if you say good morning to, to God, the Father, and you say good morning, Jesus, and then you say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Chances are you'll hear, good morning. <laughs> and you say, you're weird. Yes, I am. Talk to my family. I am weird. Yes, that's true. That's good to be weird, okay? Uh, if that means uh, having fellowship with God, uh, that's a good thing. But Thanksgiving is part of our daily routine. Um, I was with a, uh, a person recently who's gone through some, some hard times. It's in a, another city a couple hours from here. And um, I'd gone down there specifically to see them because they've gone through a lot of hard times recently. And I, I wanted to go down there and just encourage them and show support. And we were having dinner together. And we were talking. And, and he made a statement. He said, I don't have any friends and I don't have any support. And I looked at him and I said, so I'm chopped liver. I drove two and a half hours to be here. I took a half a day of my life. I won't get home until 10 o'clock tonight. And you're saying, I don't have any friends and I don't have any support. I said, would you like to rephrase that or shall I just get up and drive home now? But yet many times, and he, he said he was sorry, he meant locally, you know. I said, good save, kind of. But... What he really, what, but what really I'm getting at is many times we have that same effect when we complain about our lives or complain about our situations, and God hears everything, okay? So when this guy says, I don't have any friends and I don't have any source of support, and I'm sitting there, I just drove two and a half hours, and two other people had driven, one of them had driven three hours to be there, and another one had driven two and a half, and we're all sitting there supporting this guy, and he has the audacity to say, I don't have any support, right? But that's just like what happens if we complain about our situations, or we might complain about our current state of, of being, when we complain to others, God hears it, and he's saying, hold it, what about Jesus? What about the fact that I gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit? What about the fact that every day is a gift? What about the fact that the unthankfulness or ungratefulness is offensive, isn't it? Anybody who's ever had children knows that's true because children have to be taught to be thankful because by, their human, by all of our human nature, we are not thankful. Where it's kind of like, well, yeah, of course you do. You're my dad. You, you have to do that. I don't have to do nothing, Jack. I don't have to buy you a car. I don't have to pay for that. Buy your own shoes. Get a job. You know, whatever. But so thankfulness is something that is learned, right? 
and we learn to be thankful. So this is not even part of the healing class. This is something that I felt like the Lord wanted me to share. Maybe just some of us, maybe me in particular, needed to get one of these. That's called an admonition, a slap across the face with the word, okay? So it's probably me that needed it more than all of you, but I am duly slapped at this point in time, so you all had to put up with me getting slapped by the word in front of y'all. So anyway, today we're talking about healing in the covenant, okay? So we've covered a lot of ground over the past five, this is the sixth week, over the last five weeks we have covered a lot of ground. And one of the foundational truths that we've, we've got to establish again is that healing is not an add-on. It's not an option on your new car. It's standard equipment. Okay? You know, whenever you buy a car, there's the standard equipment, and then there's options, right? You can get options, like an extra big moonroof or something, right? That's an option. Or the backup camera or whatever. Well, I'm going to tell you, healing is part of the standard salvation package. It's included in the covenant. So if you can believe the Lord, if you can trust the Lord with your eternal destination, you can certainly trust him with the healing of your body, okay? Because you've been redeemed. If you can believe that he can forgive your sins, you certainly can believe that he can heal all your diseases because they're in the same verse multiple places. In Psalm 103, it says, who forgives all of our sins and forgives all of our diseases, all in the same breath. That is, that is quoted time and time again in scripture. So healing and the restoration of physical health is included in the atoning work of Christ. It's not an add-on. It's not an extra thing that you have to do extra things for. It's part of the package. When Jesus shed his blood, when Jesus shed his blood, he shed his blood not only for the forgiveness of, the, of your sins, but also for the healing of your mind, for the healing of your emotions, for the healing of your body. Amen. Okay? But, so it's for the forgiveness of sins, which is the healing of your spirit, okay? The healing of your mind, the healing of your emotions, your heart, if you want to call it that, and the healing of your body. All was included in the healing, all was included in the, the covenant that he cut with God. See, the old covenant was a great covenant. It was a covenant that God made with Abraham. He said, I'm gonna make you a great nation and all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. God cut a covenant in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham. He said, I'm gonna give you a son and I'm gonna make the, you the father of many nations. We covered that a couple weeks ago. That was an old covenant, that, that was the original covenant that God made with Abraham. It was with the nation of Israel. But that, that covenant, that old covenant, it required specific things of the people. And that covenant was with God and man. And God was always going to keep his end of the bargain. And if you if you'd ever study covenants, covenants always have benefits and they have consequences. So they have benefits if you keep your end of the bargain, if you want to call it, use that terminology, but it also has consequences if you fail to keep your end of the bargain. Everybody tracking with me on this? That in the Old Covenant, if you look in Deuteronomy, 
It says, if you keep the Lord's commandments, if you do all these things, if you're faithful to the Lord, all these great things are gonna happen to you. Then you look at the next chapter. It says, but if you fail to keep the Lord's commandments, and if you fail to do all these things, then all these curses are gonna come upon you. And there's all kinds of, it's ridiculous how many curses there are, okay? It's no fun at all. You read those curses and you go, yee, right? I mean, it's like lack, poverty, sickness, disease. It says you'll grow crops and somebody else will harvest them. You'll marry a wife and some other guy will take her from you. I mean, that's the kind of curses that are in for disobedience to God in the old covenant. Everybody say, I'm thankful we have a new covenant. So when someone wants to live in the old covenant, I don't think they understand what they're talking about. Because if you really want to go back to the old covenant, understand something. You can't keep God's law perfectly, therefore you are going to have curses because it's impossible to keep God's covenant perfectly. So you're going to be walking in this curse all the time if you want to go to the old covenant. We want the new covenant, okay? So we're going to talk today. When I refer to the covenant that we have with God, it's a new covenant. It's the new covenant. See, the new covenant is between God and Jesus, it's not between God and the nation of Israel. It's between God and Jesus. Well, then where do we fit? We are in Christ Jesus. Those that have given their lives to him are considered in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, and old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, right? Over 130 times in the New Testament, the word in Christ, in him, or in whom is stated. 130 times in the New Testament. In Christ, in him, in whom. So as a New Testament believer, you are considered in Christ. So if we're in Christ, we're baptized into Christ. We're baptized into the body of Christ. We are in Christ. So when God looks at us, when God looks at you, he doesn't necessarily see you. He sees you in Christ. He sees you through the lens of Christ. So in the Old Covenant, it was, a, it was a covenant between God and the nation of Israel. And when the nation of Israel messed up, you know what happened to them? They went into captivity, right? They got attacked. The Amalekites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and all the other ites, they just attack them. The Philistines and all those cats, they just came from everywhere. They'd steal stuff, rob stuff, kill people, take people into captivity. They were always getting in trouble. Y'all read your Old Testament? You know that's true, Right? In the New Testament, there is no curse. Hold it. Is there consequences for disobedience? Absolutely. But there's no curse in the covenant because we're in Christ. And Christ has kept his end of the bargain and we're in Christ. So the victory that Christ has earned, it is deemed to have been your victory because you are in Christ. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're a brand new species of being. You're not just a human. You're in Christ. You've been in Christed, if that's a word. You're in Christ. You are in Jesus Christ. You are considered to be in him. In him we move and live and move and have our being, it says in 1 Corinthians. 
So the new covenant is with God and Jesus, and we are in Christ. We receive the benefit of Jesus' obedience and the benefit of Jesus' continued faithfulness. We receive that benefit. What did we do to get it? We received it. What did you do to get it? Well, I just received it. But what did you have to do? I had to receive it. You can't earn it. You cannot earn what Jesus did for you. It's already done. If, if, if you went to a restaurant and I saw you there and I paid your bill and you went up and said, hey, I need to pay my bill. And they'll say, somebody paid your bill. You'd say, but I need to pay my bill. I'd say, dude, somebody already paid your bill. Go home. No, but I need to pay my bill, right? They, they would think that you're a little off in the head if you kept insisting on paying your bill after they told you to go home because your bill was paid. See, the, the, the price of your salvation has been paid already. The bill's been paid. Jesus paid the bill. We get the benefit, he paid the bill. He kept our end of the covenant for us. Just say it like that. He kept our end of the covenant for us. And we're in Christ. See, the old covenant, it had blessings if the covenant was honored and curses if it was broken. But in the new covenant, it's impossible for you to break the new covenant because it was already ratified by the shedding of Jesus' blood on Calvary. So it is impossible for you to break that new covenant. It's impossible. Because why? Because it's not with you. You're in Christ. So it's impossible for you to break the covenant because we're saved by grace through faith, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, it says in Ephesians 2.10. Because we're saved by grace through faith. So it's through faith, it's not through your performance or your works. Our new covenant is with God and it's founded on the Old Testament covenant that's ratified in the blood of Jesus. See, the old, even this is the old covenant. The old covenant says, you shall serve the Lord your God. He'll bless your bread and your water. Take sickness from among the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land and I will fulfill the number of your days. It's Exodus 23, 25, and 26. Exodus 15 says, if you diligently heed, here's a if, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I'll put none of these diseases on you which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. That's Jehovah Rapha. Now this is the old covenant he's saying all these things. He's revealing himself through the old covenant. He's saying, for I am the Lord who heals you. I am Jehovah Rapha. In the Old Covenant, Israel had to obey God to receive the benefit of the covenant. In the Old Covenant, Israel had to obey God. You can see it right there. If you hearken, if you keep my statutes, if you do all these things. And if you don't do them, you don't get this. In fact, you not only don't get this, you get a whole bunch of bad stuff. That was Old Covenant. But in the New Covenant, we can receive the blessing of God and the benefits of the covenant by faith through Jesus Christ. See, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, they basically, the good works came and the blessings followed. So it was cause effect. Good works, obedience came first, blessings followed. If you didn't have the good works, you didn't get the blessings. In fact, you got cursed. New Covenant is a, a whole different deal. Blessing, you've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, regardless of what you've ever done. 
What do you do to receive that blessing? Trust in Christ, put your faith in Christ, and be in Christed to get all those blessings, to get all that grace, to get all that favor. What do you do? You believe, you tr- you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. When, you, when we say saved, we mean sozo, which means healed, delivered, full of peace, forgiven. All those things are included in sozo. So what do we do? We stay in the new covenant by believing in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, by believing. So believing is what we do in the new covenant. We trust him that he has done everything necessary for us to walk in the truth, for us to walk in the good things that he has provided for us. We trust him. We believe that what his word says is really true. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, included salvation, healing, health, deliverance, provision, and prosperity. That was the Old Covenant. I mean, the Old Covenant included all those things. It included safety, preservation, peace, provision, prosperity. It included all, that was the Old Covenant. Now, it says in Hebrews that now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch he is the mediator or the go-between of a better covenant which is established on better promises. So the old covenant had good things in it, but we have a new covenant with God and it's based upon better promises. We have better promises. Why are they better? Because the Bible says they're better, number one, but because they don't have a curse associated with them and it's not based on how good you can be or how perfect you can be. It's based upon what Jesus has already done. We need to relax and rest in Christ and obey him and let the Holy Spirit lead us into all truth. It's not about how good you can be. Now, is this, you know, I love Romans. Romans chapter six. It says, what shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Don't, in other words, Paul is saying, don't be dumb. Come on. That's ridiculous. Of course not. Right? One translation even says, H-E double toothpicks. No. That was the cotton patch, but I won't say that. But of course not, okay? We would never do that. So I'm not giving you a license to sin because people sin without a license all the time, right? You don't need a license to sin. So I'm not saying that you just, oh, it's all by grace so we can just do whatever we want. No, it's all by grace so we can live right. So it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness, It's by the grace of God that we walk free from sin. It's by the grace of God that we can walk free from sickness. It's by the grace of God that we can walk free from bitterness and unforgiveness. It's by his grace. See, the new covenant contains all the old covenant blessings plus better promises, and it's not based on our performance. It's based upon Jesus' completed work. Now, that might take you a a couple times here in that, so I'm gonna say it again. The new covenant, covenant is based upon all the Old Testament blessings and, because they're fulfilled in Christ Jesus, and better promises, but they're not based on our performance. They're based upon Jesus' completed work at Calvary and his completed atoning work that's already been accomplished. That's why we're able to say in Scripture, 
by his stripes ye were healed. Because it's com- considered done, completed. You know, scripture, God sees things different than we see things. See, we see things in a linear fashion. We see things like this is how we see things, one after another. Whereas God tends to see things from the beginning and the end all at the same time. It says he is the alpha and the omega. So when we look at life, we look at it and we look at it and we go, okay, I think linearly. linearly. That's a tough word to say. We think in a linear fashion, whereas God thinks in a holistic fashion. He can see the beginning from the end. It's like we're the mouse in the maze and he's standing above the maze going, if you just turn left right now, you'd get out of this pretty easy. But we're sitting there going, oh, maybe I'll go over here. Oh, maybe I'll go over here. Maybe I'll go over here. Right? But God's up going, hey, if you'd listen to me, I'd tell you, turn left. You know. But God sees things from a different perspective. Okay? He sees things, the end from the beginning. So when he talked about Jesus, John the Baptist talked of Jesus, and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, Jesus had not even declared who he was yet. Jesus had not died on the cross. Jesus had not accomplished the atoning work he was about to accomplish three years later, three and a half years later. He hadn't done any of that. He'd not done a miracle yet. But John the Baptist, by the Spirit of God, says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus had not yet done it, but yet John said that he he was taken away, that he takes away the sins of the world. See, because God always sees the end from the beginning. It also says that Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. And that one always kind of blows up my brain. When I look at that and I go, what do you figure? How do you mean he was slain from the beginning? He didn't get slain until later. What do you mean he was slain from the beginning? Because God sees things from a beginning to end perspective. That's why when God writes something in the Bible, when something's in the Bible and it says something's going to happen, you don't have to worry about whether it's going to happen. It's like, okay, um, it's like what happens when they do a, a, a rerun of a baseball game. I was sitting in, um, in a restaurant with uh, Pastor Tom Smith a couple years ago. I remember this. It was so funny because I didn't realize that they replayed the Tigers games the next day. So we're sitting in a restaurant, and the Tigers are on, and I love the Tigers. Even if they don't win, I still like them. So I'm watching the TV and kind of not paying attention to what everybody else is doing, I'm just kind of watching the game. And Tom is kind of a stinker. He likes to mess with people. So he, I'm watching the game, and like there's two outs, and they got guys on second and third. We're down by two runs. And he goes, I just feel like Cabrera's going to hit a home run here, and we're going to win the game. I said, get out of here. And about 10 seconds later, Cabrera hits a home run. We win the game. I look at him, and I'm like, world. I'm like, what's up with that? And he looks at me and he goes, don't be too impressed. Look what it says there. It says replay. I watched it last night. See, that's the way God feels, I think, sometimes. He says, don't be so impressed. I see the end from the beginning, so it's not really that impressive. I know everything. So when when God shows you something that's going to happen or we read something in the Bible and we see it, 
it, it, God's going, yeah, but you, know, you have to understand, I've already been there and I'm back again. You know, I've already been there. We can't comprehend that because we think in linear terms, but God has already been to your tomorrow and he's already back. I mean, you kind of go, ah. It makes my head hurt if I think about that too much. So I don't think about it that much, but if you really ponder that, that's pretty freaky, okay? But see, that's why God could say, Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world because he's already been there and back. And when he talks in Revelation about what's going to happen, it's not a, this is not a question of whether it's going to happen. It's a matter of when it's going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And when, when all the things that are prophesied to happen, uh, they're going to happen. Because why? Because he's already been there. And he, this is like a news report from tomorrow. It's, it's not whether it's going to happen, it's when. So the new covenant is a great thing that we have. We have access to the new covenant, and healing is yours as part of the covenant. This is not something we have to bargain with God. Oh, God, if you'll heal me, I'll serve you the rest of my life. Just serve him anyway, okay? And you know what? Healing will come. But we don't, make, we don't have to make bargains with God. Healing has already been purchased. Your healing has already been purchased. It's already been paid for. Your name is already on it. What do we have to do? We have to receive it. We have to appropriate it. How do we appropriate it? By sowing God's word in our heart. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And hearing and hearing and hearing. And eventually, what happens? If you sow the right seed... How many were here this weekend with Carolyn Leaf? Anybody here this weekend? Did Carolyn Leaf talk this weekend, and she talked about thought process, planting thoughts as seeds. And I felt like she confirmed scientifically what I've been teaching for 20 years. And, and that is that the power of your words and the power of thoughts, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. She confirmed all that with science. And I was like, this is cool, even though I felt like I was drinking from a fire hydrant most of the day. I had to take a break a couple times because she talked so fast. But other than that, it was fantastic. I have to, I'm a one that has to get the CD and then listen to it and then rewind and listen to it again and hearing and hearing and hearing before I get that stuff. It's all good, though. So, but the, it's ours, and we plant the seed of the Word of God in our hearts. There's different kinds of seeds, just like there's different kinds of seeds of plants. You plant corn seed, corn kernel, what do you get? corn, right? You plant wheat, what do you get? Wheat. You plant an apple seed, what do you get? Apple trees, which produce apples eventually. All the different kinds of seeds produce different things. And the word of God has different functions and anointings and purposes. So if we just, if we plant verses, the word of God related to healing, it will produce healing. If you plant verses related to the peace they will produce peace. If you plant verses related to forgiveness, you'll get a, a revelation that you're forgiven or righteousness that you're righteous. But see, faith comes by hearing and faith for different purposes comes with planting the word of God for every one of your needs. And there's all kinds of books. I'd encourage you to go ahead and get books that say God's word for, for every one of your needs. Um, those types of things are out there and just go ahead and start confessing and, and talking about those talking about those, uh, those verses. If we look at the, the covenant that we have with God, there's also a, 
a sign of the covenant. Every covenant is based on basically five major components, okay? The first component is based on promises. Promises of protection, provision, okay? That's the, big, the main thing is promises of protection and provision. So that's the part of the covenant. There's also always a name change in a covenant, okay? There's always a name change in a covenant. There is always a sign or an action related to that covenant, okay? And then there's always a memorial of that covenant. Anybody know what this is right here? That's my wedding ring. It's a sign that I belong to Kimberly Ann Blaukamp and Jesus, but not necessarily in that order, okay? But that's a sign. It's a sign of, that I'm in covenant with my wife, okay? It's, a just, it's just a ring, but it's a sign that says this one belongs to somebody, right? It's a sign, and there's always a sign of every covenant there is, and there's always the shedding of blood as part of that covenant. The last thing is there's always the shedding of blood to ratify any covenant. Yet a true biblical covenant requires the shedding of blood. So, what happened with us and God, okay? Was there shedding of blood? Yes, Jesus shed his blood. Was there a exchange of names? Well, there, has, there hasn't been yet, but it says that you're gonna receive a new name when you get to heaven, so there's, you're gonna get a new name. Some of you got a new name when you get married. Well, you're going to get another new name when you get to heaven, okay? It says you're going to get another, you're going to have a name that no one knows, and you're going to get it, okay? Is there a promise? The book is full of promises, right? Promises of protection? Absolutely. Promises of provision? Absolutely. Right? Are you tracking with me? We have a covenant with God. Is there a sign? Yes, there is. What's the sign of the covenant, of the new covenant that we have? Somebody yell it out. What's the sign? No. Well, that's the old one. That's the sign between that he's never going to destroy the earth with a, with a flood. The sign of the covenant is communion. It's the Lord's Supper, right? So tonight, we're going to take communion. I'm going to talk a little bit about communion. You can go ahead and pass out the elements, if you would. We're going to talk a little bit about communion, and then we're going to receive communion together, because it's the covenant meal. Somebody says, well, if this is a meal... I'm going to need another meal because this is a bad tasting wafer and some old grape juice, okay? It's a sign. It's not, met, it's not necessarily meant to fill you up. It's a sign, okay? <clears throat> so Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Why was his body broken? It was to purchase your salvation, peace of mind, healing, prosperity, provision, Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5, it says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was laid upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. Jesus' body was broken to meet every type of need that we would have. He was broke, his body was broken to meet that need. Yet the price has already been paid for every single need that you might have. And it's found in the broken body in the shed blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, 
For I received, this is the Apostle Paul talking to um, the Corinthian church. He said, for I received from the Lord, referring to Jesus, in the night that I was delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread, and he said, take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, when he, when he went to celebrate, when he went to celebrate, thank you, when he went to, to celebrate Passover, you have to understand what, what Jesus was doing. When Jesus was with the disciples, it was Passover. And maybe some of you don't um, get the full, comprehend the full impact of Passover, but in the Jewish calendar, Passover is one of the main feasts in the Jewish calendar. And Jesus was merely keeping the Passover on the night before he was betrayed. He took the bread, and the bread was, was set there. And they were, they were not celebrating communion, people. They had never had communion before. They were celebrating Passover, okay? So what does Passover mean? For the sake of review, Passover is celebrating when the Jews who had been captive to the Egyptians for 430 years and they, God sent Moses to deliver them. After the 10 plagues, he, in, he instructed the Israelites to take a lamb. This is the first time they'd never done Passover before. God told Moses, and he had Moses do this through the entire nation. They were all instructed to take a lamb a lamb, a small sheep, okay? One that one, went, something like that. That's the sound they would make, right? There are cute little fluffy things about this big. Don't hurt anybody. I can't imagine having to kill this little thing, right? But see, Jesus, God wanted to make a, the people to remember. They had this little lamb, right? And they instructed every family, kill the lamb, take the blood, take, a, take hyssop, which is a, a, a cleansing herb or a weed, if you want to call it that, dip that, that in the blood and strike the two doorposts and the cross, the overhead, whatever that thing's called, okay? The bulkhead? Okay, so strike the sides and the top of the doorposts, okay? So put that blood that was shed from this innocent little lamb, right, this lamb hadn't done anything wrong. It hadn't bitten your little kid or anything. It was just a little lamb, right? Innocent. And it's to demonstrate that the innocent die for the guilty, okay? And you were to take that blood, like I said, put it on the doorpost, put it on the, the cross member of the, do of the door. And then when, after that was done, they were to roast that lamb, they were to take unleavened bread, which is basically saltine crackers with no taste and no salt, okay? Unleavened bread, which is flat bread, but even worse than the flat bread you eat now, okay? So it's just untasty wraps with no sugar and no salt in them and no yeast. And, okay, that's what they were to take, and it's hard. And bitter herbs, and they were to eat the meal, they had never done this before. You have to understand. The, the, the Jews had never done this before. The Israelites had never done this before. And they, God instructed them. It's really interesting. I, I really got some additional insight as I was studying for this. It's really kind of 
kind of cool. He instructed them they had to eat standing up. You read it, it said they're to eat standing up. You know, if you, in the Jewish tradition, they would eat lying down, reclining at tables, at like low coffee tables type stuff, and they would kind of lay on, lay on the side, and that's what their tradition was. But they had to eat standing up. They had to have their sandals strapped on. They had to have their loins girded, which just simply meant they wore these long flowing things. They had to kind of take it, put it up like this, and put it through their belt. Why? So they could run. If you were going to go into battle, you never had your long thing just hanging there. You'd trip over it. They would pull the thing up like this and kind of wrap it around and stick it over here. That's called girding your loins, okay? It means pulling up your dress between your legs and stuff it in the back of your belt. That's the Bernie version of that one. So, so they had to stand up, have their sandals on, have their loins girt, girded about, which means they can move quick. They had to have their staff in one hand. Why'd they have to have their staff? They had to be ready to move. Because that night, the angel of death came, which is not a good thing. The angel of death came to Egypt. And the firstborn, again, who was Jesus? He was the firstborn among many brethren. The type and the shadows in here are just astounding. Okay, The firstborn of every household where the blood was not put over the doorpost, the firstborn was killed in every single household in the whole nation of Egypt. And when that happened, when that happened, the Pharaoh had no more fight left in him and he released the Israelites. So they had to be ready because God knew, again, God sees things from beginning to end, so he said, you guys got to be ready. You can't be packing up. You can't be, you know, standing there in your dresses. You got to have your loins girt about. You got to have your staff. You got to be ready to move. Because when these folks tell you to move, you better move quick and don't hesitate. Okay? So they had to, they had to take the Passover meal with expectancy of deliverance. Do you get what I'm saying? They had to be ready. They had their shoes on. They had their staff. They had... They had their, their loins girt about. They were ready, right? They were ready, anticipating deliverance because they were listening to the instructions of the Lord. He was showing them what to do. So that's the original Passover. And then the next day, the Egyptians sent them out and they sent them out with all kinds of gold and silver and said, just get out of here. And they put them out in the wilderness and they went over, they started on their journey to the promised land. So when Jesus was meeting with his disciples, they were remembering the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. They were remembering the covenant of deliverance that God had with his people. They were celebrating a feast called Passover. So when Jesus said, this is my body, when he, when he took the bread, he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. You know, at that point in time, he, his body had not yet been broken, but yet he spoke in past tense as if it already had been done. Why? Because he's God and he talks that way. He calls those things that be not as though they were, right? So he said, this is my body broken for you. Did he really mean take a bite out of my forearm? No. 
He didn't. He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, this do as a reminder or a remembrance of me. So he says, remember me whenever you do this. Remember me. Jesus' body was broken for your healing. He bore, his, he bore your sins in his body on the tree that we might be dead to sin and alive to righteousness, it says in 1 Peter, that by Jesus' stripes you were healed. So he not only bore your sin, he also bore sickness. In the same sentence, in the same verse right next to each other, he bore your sin in his body, but he also bore your sickness for by Jesus' stripes you were healed. So it's both. So tonight, as we, as we are about to take communion together, I want us to have our shoes on. I want us to have our, our skirts ready to run, our loins girt about like those people. I want us to have our staff in our hand. I want us to be anticipating deliverance. Because that's what the original crowd did. They anticipated God to do what he said he would do. So when we take this, the, the little wafer that we're about to eat, this isn't just a wafer that tastes like styrofoam, okay? That's not just what it is. It's a remembrance of Jesus' broken body, which was broken for you. It's not just a little, you know, half-inch round thing. It's a remembrance, a sign, a contact point of the broken body of Jesus Christ that was broken for you. And in there is your, in, included in the price that was paid is your salvation, forgiveness of sins, healing for your body, peace for your mind, healing for your emotions. It's all in there. So when we take it, it's not just a a religious symbol, it's not just something that we do because, well, it's just what we do. No, it's something, and if I can ever get this thing open, I'll be, I'll be all right, right? Half the, half the battle with this is getting this thing open. There we go. God gave us fingernails for a reason, right? So we could open these little cups. As we look at this, and as we look at the, the bread, the little wafer, realize that it says, we, that it says that this is in remembrance of him. It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm gonna talk for just a moment. Y'all got your wafers out of the package? All right. I'm gonna talk for a few more minutes. It says, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood. Mm. Let a man examine himself or let a person examine themselves and so let them eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this is the reason many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So what do we do? We need to, before we take, before we take this, we've got to judge ourselves. We gotta judge ourselves and say, Lord, search me, try me, see if there's anything wicked in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In your own heart, you need to say, God, is there anything in me that I have let in my heart? Maybe there's any unforgiveness, anything that would 
hinder my relationship with you. God, I'm examining myself and I'm asking you to show me, is there anything in me that would hinder me taking this right now? Because I don't want to take it in an unworthy manner. So I'm going to give you about 10 seconds to do that. Secondly, we judge ourselves and we need to say, after, after we've judged ourselves, and that's not condemning yourself, that's merely saying, Holy Spirit, show me. And when he shows you, there's no condemnation, there's merely a reaction. So if there is anything, say, thank you, I repent from that, and you forgive or you repent from whatever it is in your heart, okay? But then we also need to look at sickness. Is sickness if there's a sickness in our body, is that from God? No. So we're not going to be condemned if we have sickness in our body. We're going to merely say, this sickness that's trying to attach itself to me is not from God. I reject it. I refuse its ability to exist in my body any longer. I judge myself as healed because of the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus. So many times people think the judgment is only from a negative standpoint, but really when you judge yourself, judge yourself as righteous because you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's a way to judge yourself. You judge yourself as healed because by Jesus' stripes you were healed. So we, we anticipate deliverance. We anticipate. We are to do the same. We receive this with anticipation. I'm going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we recognize that we have a covenant with you. It's ratified by the shed blood of Jesus. Because Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was shed on, on our place, we acknowledge that Jesus bore our sin, he bore our sickness, he bore our grief, our fear, our torment, unforgiveness, strife, and lack. He bore all these for us through his sacrifice. We have complete redemption total deliverance from all the works of Satan. Our freedom has been bought and paid for. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. And we give thanks for all of it in Jesus' name. Father, as we've examined our house, our, ourselves and our own hearts, we judge ourselves according to your word. Where we have missed the mark with jealousy or strife or covetousness, fear, worry, unbelief, we repent according to 1 John 1, 9, which assures us that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We receive this wafer now as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are free from the works of Satan, spirit, soul, and body. Now the same night he was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, and he said, take and eat it. This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may now eat the bread. Right after dinner, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's a new covenant. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Through the blood, we've been, we've been justified, according to Romans 5, 9. Through the blood, we've been redeemed, according to Ephesians 1, 7. Through the blood, we have peace, according to Colossians 1, 20. Father, we thank you for your provision in Jesus. We confess that we are blessed of the Lord today. The new covenant of Jesus' blood is filled with great and precious promises. 
And those promises belong to us right now. Father, we thank you that we are in your kingdom. We've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and placed in in the kingdom of your dear son. We declare that we are the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. All that we put our hands to prospers. We praise you that we are forgiven, that though our sins were as scarlet, we are as white as snow. We thank you, Father, that the, the blood of Jesus cleanses our hearts and minds from all dead works so that we can serve you, the living God. Father, we love you. We thank you that the blood of Jesus acts as a barrier, that the angel of death can come nowhere near us because we are in Christ and we are covered by the blood of Jesus, that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, and we declare that we are delivered, we are redeemed, we are made whole, we are righteous, and we are forgiven, we are healed, we are made whole in Jesus' name. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, you may drink the cup. Now, when we look at what happens when we just did that, you say, well, what's the, what's the significance? The significance is communion is a look back at what Jesus did. Communion is a look within to do a, a, a spiritual checkup and to look forward to his eminent return because he says you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So it's a look back, it's a look within, and it's a look forward. It's all three of those. And I would say to you, to all of us, that communion is not something that is only reserved for church. You can take communion at home. You can take, just look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's there. You can follow that just simple thing I just did and just reaffirm your commitment to the Lord. Take communion. If you're in the middle of a big decision, take communion. Reaffirm your covenant with God. Reaffirm the recognize and go back to the covenant again. Because the covenant is something that's powerful. It's something that's eternal. The covenant that we have with God is eternal. It's forever. God says in Psalm 89, I will not change one word of the covenant that I have spoken. That's what he says. He says, I'll not change one word. That's God. He says, I won't change it. In other words, if God makes a promise, it's good. He never backs out. So go ahead. Don't just wait for church. Do it at church, absolutely. But also do it at home. You don't wait to read your Bible, hopefully, to just to come to church. So don't wait to do communion to just at church. Do it at home. Just do it with your family. Do it by yourself. Take a little grape juice and a saltine cracker. It doesn't matter. You can take it with Ritz crackers and Pepsi if you want. But the bottom line is, it's not what it is. It's the attitude of your heart. That's the, that's the important thing. And that's why it's not important how or what. It's a matter that you recognize the power of it and the fact that you're in Christ and that you have already received. It's at your disposal. Every single thing that's been purchased by Jesus Christ, it's yours. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.